listen, we're in a series all about our tr- Christian identity, what it means to be a child of God. And I, as I was thinking about what was next for us, um, there, there are all these different attributes I could explain, but the one that really stuck out to me for this episode um, is the fact that we're chosen. We're chosen. We're wanted. Uh, we're actually desired by God. Um, so from an early age, think about life. Think about your childhood. Think about all the experiences you've gone through. Every single person is desperate for attention. Every single person uh, is desperate for a sense of approval from certain people. We're desperate for love. There's a, there's a, there's a hole, a God-sized hole in our soul uh, that only the Lord can fill with His love, His approval, and the attention that He gives to us. In other words, we are created with this, with this innate desire to be wanted, to be treasured, to be chosen uh, as image bearers of God. And of course, we want to be picked for the right thing. You can be picked for the wrong thing. Um, but the question we're going to explore today is what does it mean that we're chosen? What does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean that God looks at us and chooses us, you know, in time? Think about how good it feels to be chosen for something honorable. Think about those times in your life where someone noticed you, that person you really look up to, that person you really, really um, esteemed and, and not idolized, but you wanted to be like them. You, you valued their opinion and, and they approved of you. They noticed you. They um, even applauded you. We've all had moments in life where someone noticed us and out of everyone that they could have possibly chosen, they chose us for something honorable. We've all had moments of that where it was fulfilling. It was There's something satisfying about being selected out of a crowd for something um, and being wanted and being obviously chosen. And so you could say that as humans, mostly deep down, there's just this desire to be wanted by someone and God offers us that. And so we'll do whatever it takes. This is what people do most of their life, especially those who don't know Christ. They spend most of their life, um, you know, desperately trying to get people to notice them, desperately trying to get the approval of their parents, and they're still, and they're in their 40s now, desperately trying to get people from their elementary school and, and high school to get them to, to notice them, to follow them on Instagram, to like them, to think much of them, you know, and we'll use all these different methods. I'll use money, and I'll build an empire to get people to think I'm valuable. I'll use my skill set I'll use my family, I'll use the material possessions that I acquire, I'll use my success in business, and I'll use these things to hopefully get people's attention, get the people that I really value to notice me. And there's a place in the Christian's life where that, that, play, that desperate need for approval, that desperate need for acceptance just falls away um, under the weight of God's love for us. So if you're in Christ, you need to know something today as we look as we look at scripture. Um, if you're in Christ, you've already been chosen by the only one whose opinion matters. The only one, think about it, when you die, when you stand before the living God, you will not care about anyone else's opinion. You will not care about your boss's opinion or the people in elementary school who bullied you or the people at, at work or the peop, your, your spouse. You won't care about anyone else's opinion but the one who is going to judge you. And if you're in Christ, he has made his decree about you. He's made his final decision about you. Um, and his opinion matters most. So we need to learn how to live like that. So, you know, if he's decided to choose God Almighty, think about who he is. The one who uh, is the eternally existent, sovereign king of the universe. He wants you. And now that you're in Christ, he's chosen you. Out of the billions of people that have ever existed across time, he's wanted and chosen you. 
um, which shouldn't inflate your ego. It should humble you. It should humble you at the feet of Jesus. So this means at the end of the day, no one else's opinion matters. When it comes to whether or not I get into the kingdom, when it comes to whether or not I perish or enter into God's kingdom in his presence, that's God's decision. So I don't need anyone else to notice me. I don't need anyone else to approve of me. I don't, I don't need anyone else to select me out of the crowd and, and applaud me. As long as I've gotten the only one whose approval matters, I can live free. And so as believers, you and I are chosen. That's not just something that happens to us. It's not just that God selects you. It's not just that God, and, and we'll get into what this means. There is the, the, the Calvinist view of being chosen, being predestined, and there's the view that I, I, I find in Scripture, um, and we'll talk through that. But what it means to be chosen is not just that God selects. It's that now I am at the core of who I am, at the core of who you are, your identity is someone who is chosen by God. And so let me take you to Matthew chapter 12 first to show you something. <clears throat> what I want to show you first of all, as with every single aspect of our identity, we find that in Christ. We find that reality uh, possible and true because of the fact that we are positioned in the Son. So it's not just on me to show you from the Scriptures what God says about you. It's on me to show you why and how you are who you are now. In other words, the question becomes, how is it that we are chosen? How, why am I chosen? What am I chosen for? How is that possible? Well, first of all, you need to know that Jesus is the ultimate chosen. He is the first chosen. He's the first and ultimate preeminent chosen one. If you had a, you know, a hierarchy of those who are chosen by God, Jesus is at the, at the top. He's the ultimate chosen one. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, it says, Behold, my servant, and this is a prophecy in Isaiah. The Lord says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. Okay, My beloved. Part of being chosen means this. You are beloved. And I think I'm going to save that one for next week. But this is referring to the ultimate servant who will lay down his life, Jesus, who's been chosen by the Father, the beloved of the Father. And God says, with whom my soul is well pleased. So you have all these different elements of Jesus' identity as the only begotten Son. The Father is well pleased with him. The Father is, uh, deeply loves and treats the Son as the ultimate beloved. The Father sees the Son as the ultimate chosen servant to do the work that none of us ever could. He says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Okay? We have a very similar statement from God actually <clears throat> in time in Luke's gospel where um, Peter, James, and John go on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He takes the three knuckleheads with him on the mount. You're supposed to think of all the times that people have gone up on the mountain to meet with the God of Israel. But this time Jesus is the visible presence of the Lord. And so after Peter puts his foot in his mouth and realizes he's saying some really ridiculous stuff, a cloud overshadows Peter, James, John, and Jesus while they're looking at Moses and Elijah. And the cloud overshadows them and a voice comes from the cloud saying this, this is my son, my chosen my chosen one, listen to him. 
So in this context, what it means for Jesus to be the chosen one means he's the ultimate authority that we need to listen to and obey. But also it's that God has selected or chosen him to do something. Jesus is the chosen vessel by which, you know, sin will be atoned for, our death will be handled, the penalty of our sin and our condemnation will be taken and placed upon him. He'll resurrect from the dead to be the appointed, true, only begotten son, resurrected, you know, the first of humanity to make way for us, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate high priest. He's all of that. That's what it means for him to be chosen. But again, before you can understand what it means that you and I are chosen by God and what we're chosen for, you need to understand that first, the only possible way we can be chosen is because of the ultimate chosen one has come down from heaven and given up his life. So we could actually have his very standing with the Father, not just as righteous, not just as holy, not just as perfect and blameless, but as the actual chosen one. We inherit that, uh, that identity. Luke chapter three, 23, verse 35, Jesus says, Father, <clears throat> verse 34, 5 rather, um, he's on the cross, and he goes, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. And... They cast lots to divide his garments, fulfilling prophecy, and the people stood by watching. Now, the religious rulers, the elite of the day, they're, they're mocking Jesus, and this is how they're mocking him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, God's chosen one. So even, you know, the religious elite have a category in the Hebrew Bible. They understand that category of whoever's going to be the Christ, the anointed Messiah of God, is going to be the chosen one of God. Okay, so when, when, we, when it says that we are chosen by God, that's not a brand new thing. It's because you are in Him. Because you're in Him, you are now chosen since He's the ultimate chosen. And so uh, what we're going to look at now is that our position in Christ is everything. Everything. Who you are now is because you are in Him. So your ultimate reality is that you are in Christ. Not that you're in time, in whatever geographical location you're in. Not that you're in this body. Not that you're in this world. Those are lesser, fading realities. Whereas the one that's ultimate is that we're in Christ. And that's going to stand for all eternity. So what you know what doesn't determine my identity? Anything going on in this world that is temporary and worldly and has to do with this material world and this material body, none of that has any bearing on who I am and how valuable I am and who we are in the sight of God. It's Jesus. So we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is what Peter says. Okay, this is, this is, this is where Jesus being the chosen one, uh, you know, makes way for us to be chosen. Here's how we see the connection between those ideas. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Okay, so for what it means for Jesus to be chosen is that he's rejected by people because people, sinful people who, who, whose reasoning faculties are corrupted by sin, they don't see the way God does. This is what, you know, God tells Samuel when he goes and anoints the next king. He says, I don't see the way man does. I don't judge the way man does. I, I judge by the heart, not appearance. And so Jesus is rejected. He's scorned. He's mocked because of the way the Jewish people, you know, measure him and judge him by his appearance, by all these other, um, you know, non-essential qualities. It says that he is chosen and precious. 
what it means for Jesus to be the living stone by which the whole temple rests on, by which the whole building, our, our, we as the household of God are built on him. What it means for him to be the living stone is that he's rejected by men, but in God's sight, he's chosen and precious. And I want to pause here and tell you that part of what it means to be chosen by God is that you will be rejected by the world. And that's actually good news because I don't care what the world thinks. I don't want to fit the mold of the world. I don't want to meet people's standards. I don't want to, you know, find myself measuring up to the, the corrupted standards of sinful, fallible people. Why would I want to be chosen and approved and wanted by people who are separated from God by sin and they're dead and they're enemies of God? Why would I care? So part of what it means, because you're in Christ and you're going to follow in his footsteps, part of what it means to be chosen is that you will be rejected by people. Jesus makes this statement all the time. That if the world, you know, hates me, how much more is it going to hate you? If it rejected the king, how much more is it going to reject his servants? You know, if the world, in this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. All these different statements about, look, we all want to be chosen. The culture and the world and your childhood trained you to want to be approved and selected and, and wanted and noticed. The problem is now that you have that by, the, by God and he notices you and he wants you and he chooses you, you have to kind of detach from the world's understanding of being selected. The world has, has so brainwashed people to think that you, your, you know, uh, your best life is being wanted and approved and, and accepted by everyone. That's the word I'm looking for, accepted. The world has trained us to think that the best life is being accepted by everyone, whereas Jesus goes, actually, I was rejected by men, but chosen by my Father. So if you're going to walk in my footsteps and be my chosen people, by nature, you are going to be rejected by the people who are hostile toward the God that you serve, and they'll take out their hostility on you because you're chosen. There's a theme all throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, and it culminates in Jesus. That is, the one who is chosen by God, the chosen son that's rejected by his brothers. Okay, you think about uh, Abel being the first, or technically, if you want to put Adam and Eve in the category of being uh, hated by the serpent in the garden and those spiritual rebels who wanted to see humanity you know, fall on their face, there's that kind of picture in, in the first pages of Scripture where you have this God has chosen humanity to rule and the serpent don't like that. And then you see that with Cain and Abel. Then you see that with you know uh, Enoch and the surrounding men who become you know increasingly violent of, in his day or, or Noah <clears throat> or Joseph and his brothers or David and his brothers and Saul. You have this theme all throughout scripture of the one who is chosen by God but hated by his brethren. And then that ultimately culminates in Jesus. And so if we're going to play a role in the, in the kingdom and be a part of the family of God, part of that means you're fitting into that pattern. 
you're going to walk in that same pattern of those who have gone before us, um, who have been chosen by God but rejected by people. And so I, uh, we, we want to brag all day about I'm chosen by God, I'm wanted by God, but by being that, you are inviting opposition from the world. You're inviting hostility. Just by nature of existing as a child of God, that's it. And so we need to learn how to reconcile that and actually navigate that throughout our lives. So back to the text. That was just a brief, something that I really wanted to get off my chest. It says, you yourselves like living stones as you come to him. Remember the context. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So notice us being a spiritual house. I'm going to highlight us in blue. Uh, Us being a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. All those ideas of who we are are built on Jesus being the chosen and precious living stone. So essentially what Peter is saying is, as you come to God, you are a spiritual house. You are the new temple collectively as the people of God. You are a holy priesthood. But you are that because you are built on the true, chosen, precious, living stone of God. That's Jesus. For it stands in scripture. Now watch how you're going to start to see this language of we are chosen, we are wanted, we are selected now because we are fitted in uh, the one who is the ultimate chosen one. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. This is Isaiah 28, 16. I'm laying in Zion a stone, the Lord says, a cornerstone chosen and precious. In other words, what he's doing is backing up his previous statement with Hebrew scriptures. And he's saying, let me show you in Isaiah 28. The Lord says, I'm laying in Zion a stone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor which you're going to see the honor for us is that we have the great honor of being chosen, a royal priesthood, the family of God, the new and living temple built on Jesus. The honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, you know, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So how you treat Jesus, whether you receive him or you reject him, will determine whether you're rejected or accepted. You can either treat him as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and fall on him or he'll crush you because you rejected him or, you know, you can receive him, build your life on him and end up finding yourself in, um, as a part of God's temple, which is his people. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Okay? But you, okay, but you, you are a chosen race. It's interesting that Peter adds the word chosen. I think hearkening back to the fact that Israel was the chosen nation of God to be the vehicle of blessing to the, to the surrounding world, to the rest of the nations. Israel was God's inheritance, his chosen nation, his lot. He chose that nation to be the extension of his blessing to the world. The problem is they didn't walk in his ways. They rejected his word. They didn't walk in his promises. They didn't trust his character. They went after idols. 
They committed sexual immorality. They did all this stuff where they didn't function as the chosen people of God. And so what, what God does is he picks up the broken pieces left, left over by the crumbling nation that's falling apart throughout human history, and he sends his son. That's always been the plan of God. To, since Israel failed, since they, God knew they couldn't be what, they, what he ultimately needed, not needed, but desired humanity to be, which is perfect, blameless, you know, perfect rulers that actually walk in the ways of God and trust his character. He knew Israel wouldn't be that, but he still chose them to have the opportunity to be that. Okay, and they disobeyed, they rejected. So Jesus comes, and he's the chosen one. And so now we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So in order to understand what it means that we're chosen, you need to go back to the Old Testament and look at what it means for Israel to be chosen. But I would say that us being chosen is a level up from the way that national Israel was chosen out of the world. In other words, ours, um, our being chosen and, and um, uh, selected by God is on a higher level than the way in which Israel as a nation was chosen. Because they were national, that was fallible, that was finite, that was, you know, they had the potential to ruin it. Um, that was based off them descending from Abraham. Of course, if you were a, a Gentile, you could join, but the chosen nation, you know, was to be a blessing to the world. But now in Christ, the way in which we're chosen, which you're going to see, I believe is a level up uh, and is different. Okay, so we are chosen. We're a royal priesthood. Think about what, there's almost degrees of, of choice. Uh, or I'll say it like this. There's concentric circles of God selecting people. When you look at the Old Testament, God chooses Israel as a nation. And within that nation, he narrows it down even more, and he chooses one of the tribes out of the 12. Okay, He chooses Levi to be the priesthood. And within the Levites, <clears throat> he chooses um, Aaron's line to be the high priest. Right? So you have degrees of choice and selection. Well, now that we're in Christ, there's no categories of selection there's no degrees of well how much has God chosen you within that it's that we are all a chosen race new humanity just think a brand new human race humanity 2.0 in Christ spiritually resurrected from the dead children of God we are a royal priesthood so it's not that some Christians are priests and others aren't it's that we are all collectively one royal priesthood in Christ and we are a holy nation so this is not based off ethnicity. This is not based off where you descend from and where you're located and what's in your blood. This is based on a spiritual reality, meaning are you spiritually resurrected in Christ to new life? This is essentially speaking to the fact that we are children of God. So as, as believers, there's no like... Well, I'm more of a child of God, or I'm less of a child of God, or I'm more chosen, or I'm more of a priesthood. It's that we're all equally. This is what Peter talks about. He talks about this, I think, in first or second Peter, I forget which one. But he talks about how crazy it is that we all have this equal calling. We're on equal footing in Christ. That there's it's not like, 
you're chosen to the degree that you obey. You're, you're, you're selected or loved or wanted to the degree that you obey. It's that when you receive the gospel and you believe in the Messiah, we all have equal standing before the Father. And our identity collectively, whether you're new to the faith, whether you've been walking with Christ for 400 years, <clears throat> and you saw, you know, lots of stuff, we are chosen by God. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So now, we have to ask, what are we chosen for? We are a people for his own possession. So what I want to do is highlight in purple what we are chosen for. We are chosen to belong to God. So think about when, uh, I don't know, I think about how my kids, they have seasons of like loving certain toys, um, whether it's a Goodwill toy or whether it was like a $200 toy. They really don't care. If it's a Dollar Tree toy, just do they love it. And they'll, they, they'll love that thing to death. If their love could, could kill the toy, it would. They so deeply value and treasure certain toys for certain seasons where it's like, this toy is off limits. No one can touch it. You know, they'll wrap it in bubble wrap and make sure nothing's going to hurt it. They're, 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 they're declaring their ownership and their love for that toy by saying, no one can touch it. It's going to stay on the shelf all day, every day. We're going to look at it. Don't even, don't even, actually don't even look at it. Only I can look at it. And that's how much I love this thing. It's a possessive thing. That's how God treats us. Not in like an unhealthy degree of possession, but the way that God chooses, he doesn't share. Like we are his people. He selected us to belong to him. He exercises, you know, um, love and value and treasures us as his own. Um, and it's a, it's a good thing to be possessive over things that you value and treasure so that those things don't break. So those things don't get lost. So people don't ruin them, right? There's an unhealthy extreme where my kids just, it's weird. But with God, it's right. It's right. So we are chosen mainly to just belong to him. And I think that's where most believers uh, get tripped up. Is they go straight for the, I'm chosen to do. And they forget that they're chosen to be first. In other words, when God chooses, yes, there's a purpose. He has a calling. He has good works for you to do. He has a new life for you to live. He has a new self for you to put on. But mainly what precedes that first is that you are chosen to be his. You're chosen to belong to God as his own treasured possession. The way that Zephaniah, you know, communicates God as singing over his, his people. There's a delight there's a, there's a deep treasuring and valuing. And we've all had moments in life where um, people in our, in our life, uh, you know, showed that kind of affection for us, where we felt wanted, we felt like we belonged. We felt like, oh, like someone not just notices me, but actually desires me, desires to have a relationship with me. And there's a, there's a kind of healthy jealousy, especially in a marriage. That's what it means for God to possess his own people. It's, it's that there is a, there's a godly jealousy. And this is not that he's jealous of you as if he lacks anything. 
This is that God is jealous for you. And he will not share you and your loyalty and your affection and your, um, your worship with other gods and other things. You belong to him. And he's jealous for your good. He's jealous for the best life. And so what you're going to see now is that you are chosen to be his own possession. And now from that, we see that you're called to or chosen to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. So now there's a second thing you're chosen for. But notice how it's secondary to belonging. In other words, this is what Jesus tells the disciples when they're chosen to go out, cast out demons, preach the gospel, prepare the cities for Jesus' arrival, because Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He would travel different cities, assemble crowds, share the gospel of the kingdom. So apostles are sent out to go and prepare, and then they come back and they go, Jesus, you, you, this is insane. Even demons Even demons obeyed us and trembled at your name. Even demons listened to us. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's pretty cool. Don't rejoice that even the demons tremble or listen to you. I forget what it says. In other words, don't don't rejoice mainly about what you're able to do. But he says, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. So what it means to be chosen is that my, my delight is in the fact that he delights in me. My, my delight, my um, excitement comes from the fact that he has chosen me to belong into his family. I have belonging. That's what it means to be chosen. You belong to God. Not just belong to him, but you belong in his family. You're not out of place. You're not a, a, um, a second-rate child. It's, you're either a child or you're not. And so you belong in his family. He makes space for you. This is what it means that Jesus goes and prepares a place. He's preparing a place, a spot for you, a way for you to go into the family of God so you can have the belonging you've longed for 30 years to have. So you can have that sense of approval and and being wanted and treasured and loved by God that you've looked for in all the wrong places for most of your life, you can have that now. And now from that place of belonging and being chosen, you're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I want you to think about that. The way that Israel's chosen, the way the priesthood is chosen, the way Aaron and his line is chosen for the the high priesthood status All of that is jam-packed into what it means for you and I to be chosen. You're chosen to serve. You're chosen to bring honorable sacrifices acceptable to God. You're, You're chosen to be a spiritual house. There's all these things. We could probably list out for hours and hours all the things you're chosen by God for. Okay? We could spend a long time unpacking that. But I want to go to Ephesians 1. Okay? No, 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 no. App, what are you doing? What are you doing, buddy? Okay. Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father. Pay attention to the language. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what has God blessed you with in his Son? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, every spiritual, invisible, heavenly blessing that God could possibly give, he's given you. One of those blessings is in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So this is where we get into what we are chosen for, okay? We are chosen to be holy and blameless. I'm going to touch on that in greater detail a little later in the message, but I want to pause and note that I understand um, the, the Calvinist perspective will interpret the scriptures to be saying something different than what I believe it says. In other words, they think scripture teaches something that I don't think it teaches, so the typical Calvinist view, because I was <clears throat> in Calvinism for a while, is this, that God chooses before the existence of the person. Meaning before anyone ever exists, and anyone ever walks the face of the earth, God has already decided who will get into his kingdom and who won't. He selected individuals, Okay. And there's something underlying within that. Now, of course, I'm not going to unpack this in depth. I'm just giving you a general summarized version of what I believed as a Calvinist prior to now. And what most Calvinists would say, yeah, that, that's what we believe, is that God chooses, especially because the language is before the foundation of the world. God decides, you know what? I want Nancy to come into my family, but I don't want Jeremy to be in my family before they ever exist. So they would say there's free will and there's a real opportunity to come to Jesus. And yet the way they treat the sovereignty of God and the foreknowledge of God makes it really seem like there is no choice. So it's it's speaking out of both sides of, of the mouth. Um, in From what I've gathered and I've listened to every Calvinist teacher you could put forth um, and I've heard but the way I read scripture here is, look, he has chosen us. Who's Paul talking to? The Ephesian believers. So God has chosen us. Is it true that God chose us before the foundation of the world? Yes. But often what gets neglected is this little phrase, is that we are chosen in Christ. Meaning God doesn't arbitrarily choose at random who's going to come into his family and who's destined to hell with no other way out. And he's locked them in a decision and he's decided that they will decide to go to hell and ultimately God's sovereignly deciding for them. That's not how I see it. What I do see is this. God does know all things before they happen. We're not going to undermine the, the foreknowledge of God and the omniscience of God. He knows all things perfectly he knows all things possible, and he knows all things um, actual. So I'm not going to undermine the knowledge of God. What I will say is this. Knowledge is not deterministic. And I want to pause here um, to help you understand why I think it's very obvious in the text that God chooses a group of people who have, who have been placed in his son for a purpose. 
So it's not God arbitrarily choosing at, you know, before they ever exist, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to heaven. It's God choosing um, two categories of people, okay? God has decided within humanity that he's chosen, sovereignly determined that there are two categories for humanity to fall into. You can be uh, righteous or you can be wicked. You can be believers, you can be children of God, or you can be unbelievers and enemies of God. All right, so there's essentially two categories. You get in the kingdom, you have eternal life, or you don't. God has not decided who ends up in each of these categories. What God has decided is what will happen for eternity to each of these categories. Meaning, it is my choice, my genuine free will choice, to decide whether or not I'll believe the gospel. When I believe, God has chosen what he will do to me now that I have chosen to be in his son. Right? It's a choice to take refuge in Jesus. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to trust in. That's what it means to receive the gospel. As you're saying, yeah, I don't, I'm not righteous on my own. I don't meet the standard of God. I have sin. I'm separated from God. I need Jesus, and I believe in his life, death, and resurrection. So I want to be in him. Boom. You're in him. So what? Well, God has chosen before the foundation of the world how he will treat you now that you are in his son. He's chosen you to be holy and blameless. He's chosen us to be holy and blameless. He's chosen us to be his children, that we have an eternal destination we're going to, that there's, there's a way he's going to treat us. We'll be forgiven. We'll be holy. We'll have a new nature, all these different things. God has decided to choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Calvinists will look at this and say, he's chosen who will end up in the Son and who will not end up in the Son. I just don't see that in the text. God has chosen how he will treat, what he will do with each person based on their free will decision to believe or not. I don't decide how God uh, d treats each category. I don't decide what God does with me for eternity. I just decide to take him at his word, believe the gospel, and he decides what he'll do with me. And he's chosen to make me righteous, holy. So, you know, the Calvinist view from my previous line of thinking was the assumption that knowledge is deterministic. For some reason, there, there's this, in, in the mind, in my previous Calvinistic mind, I couldn't reconcile God being sovereign, yet us having free will. And I was hung up on God for knowing and knowing ahead of time. And I thought, well, if God knows ahead of time, that means he determines. But knowledge is not deterministic. Knowledge <clears throat> is not causal in nature. It doesn't affect anything. If I see my son <clears throat> standing on the roof and he's about to jump, do you know what I know is going to happen? I know he's going to get hurt. Did I cause that because I knew ahead of time that he'd get hurt? No. He chose to jump. He chose to get hurt, and I knew it would happen. God is sovereign, not in the sense that he decides for the person what they'll end up doing or believing. He decides where, <clears throat> once people choose to believe or not, where they end up for eternity, how he treats them, but he's also sovereign enough 
to work in everyone's free will decision into his grand master plan to bring all things under subjection to Christ. So God can know all things. God can be sovereign and we still have genuine free will to decide whether or not we'll believe in the Son. And God has not decided for us whether we will believe in the gospel. He has not. That flies in the face of the character of God, the way that we're made. There's just so many things wrong with that that I see. And I understand the Calvinist view like can, can bring certain scriptures up to support their views. I just don't see it. I can't see it. Not that I don't want to. I've unseen it. I was convinced that I held so tightly to that. So, you know, another thing to think about is God doesn't just know all things actual. He doesn't just know all things that will happen. In scripture, we see that God knows all things that could happen, meaning potential reality. But just because he knows it doesn't mean it happens. So if God knows David will be handed over to Saul by the people in the city, and David doesn't get handed over because he takes that prophecy and adjusts his decision. It's not that God is limited. It's that God's foreknowledge doesn't determine what man will do. There's sometimes God will step in and not allow someone's free will decision to go any further. But I just wanted to comment on that real fast, that we are chosen in Christ. That's the key. It is before the foundation of the world. But God has decided anyone in his son, before the foundation of the world, he's determined they will be holy and blameless. Okay? So, um, that's my explanation. I I just knew I needed to touch on that because there will be people in the chat wondering where I stand when it comes to us being chosen. I do believe God has chosen us. Just like scripture says. He's predestined us. That does not mean he overrides your free will and has decided for you whether or not you'll believe in the gospel. Um, And so, (coughs) yes. Um, This is what I want to touch on. We'll come back to Ephesians 1. We're not done. Okay. We as believers are chosen to be holy and blameless positionally, meaning when God looks at us in Christ, he sees someone who is holy and blameless. That's part number one to us being chosen. Part number two is that we are chosen to go and live out that holiness. Go and live holy. Go and live blameless. Go and live, you know, following after the ways of God. Because now you are holy and blameless and you're capable of doing it by the Spirit of God and by the new nature He's given you. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 is another scripture. It says, We know, brothers, loved by God that He's chosen you. There are so many times in scriptures where being chosen is connected to the idea of being loved. God doesn't choose anyone He doesn't want. Does that make sense? God doesn't choose people he doesn't want. Well, God loves us, but he doesn't like us. No, God loves you and very much wants you more than you can comprehend. You can look at the cross and go, wow, he wants us that bad. Not because he needs you, not because he needs worship. And he's like, I just don't have enough worshipers in heaven. I need a few more. 
I'm desperate. I'll even pick, you know, Jimmy in the bushes. It's because he knows we need him. <coughs> so being chosen is, again, I, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. Your identity is that you are chosen to be loved. When you get married, you are choosing someone to love for the rest of your life. And they're choosing you as someone they want to love the rest of their life. This is what it means to be chosen by God. Is he's choosing you to be loved as his own beloved child, as his own son. So the same amount of love <clears throat> that Jesus has as the chosen, begotten, firstborn God says, I want to have that amount of love and degree of love flowing to my children. So that's what it means to be chosen. Everyone always focuses on the chosen, what we're to do as chosen people. But if you don't understand what you're called, to, you're chosen to be, then the life part will be difficult to navigate. We are chosen to be loved by him. That's first. So from that place of enjoying the love of God, being satisfied in the love of God, being excited about the fact that he loves me, he wants me, he selected me, from that place, we go and live as chosen people. But it's hard to live like his chosen people if you just don't understand what it means to be chosen by him, okay? <clears throat> because our gospel came to you not in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So Paul looks at the, Th the Thessalonian believers <clears throat> as people whom God has chosen to be loved. Just like in Ephesians 1, we saw that we're chosen to be holy. And that's not firstly lifestyle. That's firstly your position, your identity your reality is you are holy and blameless. Now go and live like it. Colossians 3.12, um, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So part of being chosen again for Paul in Colossians is that we are chosen as holy and beloved people and we're called to put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. So guess what we're chosen to be and do? We're chosen to be the body of Christ in the earth, embody the character of Jesus in the earth, and we're called to go and do the commands of God. We're called to reflect the ways of our Father in the, in the world. We're called to embody those ways and show the world who our God is through our compassionate hearts, through our humility, through our meekness, through our patience. It's our decision to put on the things God has made available. But, but putting it on or choosing not to put on my new self at any given moment doesn't make me any less of what God has told me I am. And again, this is not um, <clears throat> motivation to not do anything. Again, <clears throat> I say this a lot. How you think about obedience and holiness and the commands of God is a 
very strong indication of where you stand with him. How could you say you're a child of God and not love the ways of God? How could you uh, say you're a child of God and you don't have the desires of God? So, you are chosen. And whether or not at times we live up to or fall short of the standard God has placed on our life, it doesn't make me any less chosen. And this is what we've been trained to think by culture, by our parents, by teachers, by friends, by bullies, by, you know, bosses. We've been trained to think that I'm only chosen to the degree that I perform. I'm only wanted or approved of as long as I continue doing and maintaining that status through my good works. And if you're doing good works to maintain a status in the sight of God, you misunderstand the gospel. I'm not going to do good things to maintain some status that Jesus secures. I'm going to do good works because I'm secure, because I'm loved, because I'm chosen. This is where a lot of believers part ways with me where they'll go and try and live differently to, to get God to approve of, of them as, as people. Where it's like, I just got to do all this stuff to get God's approval so he wants me, so he loves me, so I stay chosen. And that's not how it works. <coughs> Believe me, I've seen a lot of <sighs> believers fall hard uh, into despair and shame and condemnation because they've been taught by pastors that it's their job to maintain their status in the sight of God. I got to live chosen to be chosen. No, no, no. First, you are chosen. Then from that place of security, from that place of approval from the Father, I'm going to go and live holy and live like His chosen people. Revelation chapter 17. So I'm not denying the connection between life and identity. Just make sure you see those in their rightful places. Revelation 17, it talks about the world and the, the horns and however you interpret that. The rulers there making war against the lamb. And the lamb conquers them. It's awesome. This is Jesus. He conquers his enemies. Why? Because he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and those who are with him are called, they're chosen, and they're faithful. All three of those ideas come together. What it means to be chosen is that I'm called by God to be faithful. Okay? Called by God to be faithful. You're not called by God to abuse His grace. You're not called by God to use His grace as a reason to live in sin. You're not called by God to live like the world. You're not called by God to disobey His commands and say, well, I'm in Christ. You're not called by God to look like everyone else and talk like everyone else and fit into people with the people at work. You're not called to fit in. You're not. You're actually chosen out, selected out of the world. 
so that when God sends you back in, you are the light in the darkness. You embody the truth amidst all the lies and the falsehood. You embody the ways of God in the midst of people who hate Him. So you're called and you're chosen to be faithful to the witness, to the testimony, to the word of God, to your king. But know this, you are chosen out of the world. I I promise you, God did not give you a new nature, a new heart, a new life, a new identity, all so you could continue looking like the people who are outside of the kingdom. He doesn't clothe you in righteousness so you just fit in with school and talk like everyone and joke like everyone and watch what they do. You're called out of the world. So being chosen by God means I don't look to the world for approval. I don't look to the world for a sense of assurance and confidence and am I I fitting in? I actually want to make sure I don't fit in doesn't mean there's nothing about your life that can mimic the culture. This means your job, your, your calling is not to just look like another Joe Schmo, you know, <clears throat> manufactured on a conveyor belt to look like everyone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay. Um, it says this. Consider your calling, brothers. Remember being called and chosen? Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So whatever you look at yourself and go, well, I'm not, if you need to be that, God will make you that, or he'll end up being that for you so you can bring to nothing things that are. What the world looks at you and goes, well, you're not smart, you're not wise, you're not educated, you're not strong, you're not capable. God goes, okay, let the world talk so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us... Um, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we're going to unpack this. I'm going to look at this a little more in depth. Before we do, quick commercial.
If you've not already done this, go to AboveReproachMinistry.com. We have a bunch of free resources that are made available to anyone around the world, completely free and accessible to anyone who wants to learn how to read the Bible. We have free online Bible study courses that will teach you how to read the Bible. We have free study devotionals that walk you through specific patterns and keywords in the book of Ephesians. We have free Bible study worksheets. We have Bible study workshops. We have all this free content because of generous supporters like you guys. And if you want to support this ministry, we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And there are a bunch of ways to donate. You can go to AboveReproachMinistry.com slash donate. You can give through debit or credit card. You can send a check to P.O. Box 338, uh, Green Cove Springs. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon. And then you can also get some church merch. If you've not already grabbed some church merch, I would recommend you do that so you can represent Jesus on your body. And all the proceeds go right back into this content so that we can reach more people and equip people to, you know, live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you didn't know this, I actually have a book. I've published a book. It's called Fruitful. And the point of this book is to be a resource to the church to teach people um, the essential keys for the most abundant Christian life this side of heaven. And so in this book, what I do is I, I outline the gospel absolutely clearly <laughs> so you can actually know what the foundational truth is. And then from there, we discover what our purpose is, what our process is, and what our position is now in Christ. So if you are a new believer, or if you're a believer that really wants to understand what I believe are the essential key truths that a lot of people don't understand in the church, I would grab a copy. And if you haven't already joined our online church, get in that online church. We have a lot of cool stuff happening, events every single day, pretty much. Uh, We're in there praying and fellowshipping and gathering and growing together as a community. And the last thing is this. If you haven't already checked out our podcast, uh, we have podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else where you can get a podcast. And pretty much all the content on YouTube, the live streams, what we do is we um, make that into podcast format so you guys can just listen on the go. So go check that out if you have not already. And let's get back to the video. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. When God calls us, he doesn't need us to be anything. (coughs) Think about all the people God has selected throughout human history to do incredible things. What comes to mind uh, for me is Stephen. Stephen is chosen. He doesn't know it when he's selected, but he's chosen to actually be the first martyr when it comes to the New Testament church. Stephen is a man who's, uh, what's it called, described as being full of the Spirit, being full of grace, being full of power, doing signs and wonders, but he's just selected by the apostles to go and feed the widows and serve tables and make sure they're taken care of. He's not chosen necessarily to do anything spectacular or grand in terms of what the world would qualify as grand. It's He's called to be a waiter and feed widows. And he ends up being chosen by God to do signs and wonders, to refute the wisdom of the, the religious elite, to, to stand on trial, to actually be stoned as the first martyr And with his blood being poured out, it actually um, spreads the gospel into the surrounding nations and areas because Stephen gave up his life. Stephen didn't want, I'm sure he didn't want to be that, but he was chosen to be that. Just an an ordinary (coughs) believer waiting tables faithfully and letting God use him. Gideon, chosen by God to um, save Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. Gideon's a coward, yet God sees what he will make him. This isn't what Gideon can be, 
This is what God will make him. And so when God calls us, the way the world qualifies us as those who are in Christ, you know, they'd say, you're foolish, you're weak, you need, a, you need a crutch, you need a God to lean on to tell you what's morally good and what's morally wrong. You're foolish for thinking there's a, there's a real God, you know, this is what the world says. You're low and despised, treated as such, not included, not invited, not wanted by a lot of unbelievers because they're against the God you serve. And yet, God has chosen what the world would say is weak and foolish and low and despised, and He's chosen to do magnificent things through us so that when great things happen, we boast in Him. So yes, God has selected you and I to do incredible things. Not denying that. I'm just saying, like what Jesus says, those things we do are not ultimate. What's ultimate, like he says, is that our names are written in the book of life. Ephesians 2, 10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God actually prepared those good works beforehand that we should walk in them. So you and I are chosen to do certain good works God has set aside for us. He's created us for. He's destined us for. He's equipped us for. He's trained us for. He'll enable us to do them. So it's not that, oh, do I have what it takes to do that? It's has God called you to do it? If he has, he'll fill in whatever you're lacking. You don't have to have that on your resume to do it. You're chosen to do what he's called you to. He'll make a way whether that's financially, mentally, education-wise, strength, ability, he'll fill in the gap. I promise. I'm a living testimony of that. I'm one of the worst talkers in the world. The only reason I can talk in front of you is because God has given me the ability by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? This is where we get into every believer has had this happen, where you almost find yourself being jealous of what another believer can do or what another believer has or what God's doing in their life. And there can be this kind of discontentment with my role in the body. Well, I can't preach. I can't teach. I can't share like that. I'm not as generous as Nancy. right? I'm not as bold as Stephen. And you almost compare yourself with other believers in an unhelpful way that breeds jealousy or despair and discouragement. And Paul's addressing that. He's going, if every single person in the church was an eyeball, metaphorically speaking, where would the sense of hearing be? If everyone in the church was an ear, played that role in the body, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose So when God chooses you, guess what he's also decided? That you don't get to choose. He's decided your role in the body. He's decided what role you best fit and what role he has best equipped you to play. And when you want another role, when you want another part to play, you're wanting something less than what God has called you to because you couldn't play that as well as what he's called you to. You're wanting something that you're not as equipped to do. God hasn't graced you to do. This is where comparison comes in and just robs us of joy because I don't have 
they, a platform like that. I can't talk like that. I can't assemble a group like that, whatever it is. I can't, you know, rile up believers and get them pumped for Jesus like that. I can't lead worship like that. Maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe that's the point. Maybe you haven't actually discovered your role because you're so busy looking at what everyone else has and just trying to cheaply imitate that instead of asking God, what role am I playing? Because you've chosen me for a role in the body. And every role comes together and has equal value, equal significance, right? And God can do just as much through me as a part of the body as, as he can do through you. This isn't about what I can bring to the table. It's what God can produce through a willing vessel who goes, I'm going to live like I'm chosen and play my role instead of being distracted by all the success and results other people are seeing and being jealous and going and crying in my pillow. I'm going to play the role he's equipped me to play. This is where we get back to the being chosen to be holy and blameless. I told you I'd come back to Ephesians. God has chosen us Believers, he's chosen you to be holy and blameless. That means obedience is a very big deal. That means holiness is a very big deal. That means doing what God has called you to and obeying his word is a big deal. Because that is what's most appropriate to your new life. That way of life is most compatible and appropriate for your new nature, for your new heart. God has equipped you and made you a new creation to do that, to be holy, to go and live what he's called you to be. So when we talked about I'm chosen, you are chosen. No one else gets to decide who you are in the sight of God. No one else gets to decide whether you perish or enter into his kingdom. No one else gets is going to <clears throat> you know, play a factor in God adopting you into his family or not. That also means since he chose me, I should be deeply concerned with his opinion about my life. Because if he selected me out of the crowd for a purpose, I don't want that choice to be in vain. I don't. I want to live up to what Paul says, living a life that's worthy of the calling. And that means I'm concerned, deeply concerned with God's opinion about my life and whether or not I'm living according to his word and living out the truest version of who I am. Living chosen means you're going to live in a way that attracts persecution. Now, this will be vary with each person. Every believer is going to have a different degree of persecution and, and um, people coming against them. It's going to be different. But I do want you to understand you will, if you are pursuing a life of godliness, Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live a life of godliness will be persecuted. It's not a question of if, it's when, it's how. So, so you can go and live holy, go live blameless, go live like God's opinion is all that matters. He picked me, I don't care what anyone else says about me, but know that by living according to his ways, just like those who have gone before us and just like Jesus, to live chosen is to live rejected by the world. Not everyone will reject you. Not everyone will accept you. And you have to be okay with that because his opinion matters most. 
the best thing about God choosing is he doesn't choose based on ability. Okay. A lot of believers get it twisted. They think, well, God chose me because of all the education I have in business. And he wants to use that. God chose me because of all the, all the, the talent I have when it comes to you know, marketing. And, and I can bring that into the church. And God chose me because of how good I am at fill in the blank or, or how beautiful I am. And I can get people to... God didn't choose you for any reason that you brought to the table. That is very freeing. That's liberating. Because as long as you're walking around thinking he chose me because of what I can do or what I bring to the table, then that selection almost depends on how well you meet that criteria. But if God chose you despite what you bring to the table and not because of what you bring to the table, and he'll use what you bring to the table, but that's not the basis of his decision, then I can live free knowing that I'm chosen and I can just do what he's called me to. I can just use what he's put in my hands. I can do what I can real time right now with what I have where I am. And I'm chosen. And because he chose me, he'll actually equip me to do what he's called me to. I don't need to look in my hands and go, do I have this? I don't have to look on my resume and go, have I done this before? Have I seen this modeled in my family? Have people before me in my, you know, in, in my family done this? I don't need to look at those things. What I can do is go, God, you told me to do it and I'm sure of it. And since you chose me, you'll enable me. And whatever I have that's available, you'll work it into your calling for my life. I want to end with this parable because it's fitting. There's a difference between being invited to the party and being chosen to enjoy the party. There's a parable Jesus gives about the wedding feast. This is what it means to be chosen. This is again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. And he said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. There's a difference here in the text between being called, sorry, let's do this, being called, invited, versus actually coming to the party or the wedding feast. To be called here is to be invited. This is mainly about the Jewish nation, but the secondary meaning applies to those (coughs) our time who will choose to reject the invitation or not to come to Christ. It says, they were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants saying, hey, tell those who are invited, notice how they're invited, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything's ready. I've done all the work. It's all prepared. Just come. Just come to the wedding feast. Okay? You're invited. I'm calling you. Come. But they paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and even killed them. The king was livid. 
And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. This is mainly talking about Jerusalem and how they'll reject Jesus. The culminating ultimate prophet and word from God that they reject and their own blood or his blood comes upon them. And then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Why? Because they didn't come. Remember? Being invited is different than actually coming to the, the wedding feast. <clears throat> Therefore, go to the main rows, invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out to the roads and, and they gathered all whom they found, bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Watch. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. Well, how did that fellow slip in? Well, <clears throat> we know that he knew there was a wedding feast, but he wanted to come on his own terms. It's assumed that the wedding garment is provided by the king, which means this man that came in said, I don't need no wedding garment. I'm going to come as I am. And I'll enjoy the wedding feast. I'll enjoy what the king's prepared on my terms. Sound like Genesis 3? And he said to him, friend, how did, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now watch. This is the last statement regarding this parable. Many are called or invited. Few are chosen, selected, worthy to actually enjoy the wedding feast. To be chosen, according to this parable, is not just to respond and go, oh, there's a wedding feast? I'd like to come. It's to come on the terms the king has set and to let him clothe you in what metaphorically represents the righteousness of his son. In other words, for us, here's how we break this down. Everyone on planet Earth, all across time, is invited to know the king. They're invited to be a part of his kingdom. Not everyone wants to actually receive the invitation and come. But there are those who want to go but on their terms. Both those groups of people don't get to enjoy the wedding feast. They don't belong. They're not worthy. They're not chosen. Those who do get to enjoy the wedding feast respond to the invitation, come on the king's terms, and let the king clothe them in what is metaphorically the righteousness of his son. In other words, those who are chosen to enjoy the wedding feast are those who respond to the gospel receive what Jesus offers us, let him clothe us in his righteousness, and we're granted access. So to be chosen is different than being called, but you need to be called to be chosen. Good thing everyone's called, but not everyone is chosen. And then, you know, typically what will happen here, <coughs> you know what, I won't get into that. I'll leave it there for today. 
and say, you and I, church, are those who have responded to the call. We've received the invitation. We've attended the wedding feast through the sun, metaphorically, and said, you know what? We want to enter the kingdom, and he's made us worthy. All you have to do is respond in faith, and he makes you worthy. He chooses you to enjoy the wedding feast, to be there. And it's beautiful. You're chosen to be holy. You're chosen to be blameless. You're chosen to be the righteousness of God. You're chosen to be a priesthood and, and offer spiritual sacrifices. You're chosen to be the temple of God and, and to be built on the Messiah. You're, you're a chosen race and a holy nation. You're chosen to be loved and wanted by God. You and I, <clears throat> this should, in a humble way, drive your self-worth through the, through the roof. There's an appropriate place for self-worth in our faith. It doesn't come from what I can do or what I bring or what I can accomplish or what I can achieve. It comes from knowing Him. He has brought us to the highest place a human being can ever get to, and that's humbling. But it also makes you not need anyone else to approve of you. So now that I'm chosen by God, I'm not living from this place of being desperate for people to notice me and want me and notice my gifts and like me for what I can produce and show me that you love me and approve of me. Now I can put my hands down and go, I have the ultimate approval of the only one who's mat who matters and the only opinion that matters. So I can go and live free and serve and love and use my gifts and not need to gain people's approval and affection and applause. I have the only one whose opinion matters and his love and affection and desire for me and the fact that he wants me is enough. It's enough. So anything I do now is not to get attention. It's not to gain anything. If anything, I'm just gaining the more rewards that God has waiting for me in the kingdom. There's more heavenly rewards for obedience. But I don't need you to approve of my decision to walk with the Father and obey him. There is a place for receiving correction, but I think some people are overly critical of other believers. And on the other side of things, some of us are too focused on pleasing other fellow believers, whether it's through church service or what we can produce or how well we can help them. or We're too focused on people pleasing. This should destroy in us any people pleasing what the Psalms and Proverbs talks about, the fear of man. It's the fear of man. And so you and I have the ability to walk with God as his chosen people now. And enjoy that. Enjoy being loved by the Father. Enjoy walking in holiness and obedience Enjoy what God has made available to his chosen people. Because you are chosen by God. Since you are in the Son, who is the ultimate chosen one. If you guys didn't already know, we have a completely cool website. It's called AboveReproachMinistry.com. This is an online ministry, if you didn't already know. Uh, you can go to AboveReproachMinistry.com to check out all the stuff we have. Um, we have a bunch of free resources. You can donate there. You can join our online church. You can get a copy of my book. 
You can get some merch. You can contact me. You can take some free Bible study courses. We have a completely free 40-day Bible study course. If you want to go deep into learning how to study and read the Bible, um, if you want to go very deep at your own pace, you can take that. It's, it's linked in the description below. Or on our website, just click free stuff, skills, courses. And then bada bing, bada boom. You got a 27-day course. You'll have to log in. It's completely free. 27-day, 11-day, and 40-day course. Completely free. Uh, we have a bunch of other free resources like Bible study sheet, worksheets and all the sermon notes I've done for all the series I've done on YouTube. And we have devotional studies. Our online church is <clears throat> amazing. And you can find a lot of value there just by fellowshipping with us. And um, you can learn about our beliefs. You can donate by giving. Go to aboveapproachministry.com slash donate. Um, you can send a check. You can donate through debit or credit. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon, get some merch, all these different ways to give. And then you can get a copy of my book, Fruitful, The Essential Keys to Living the Most Abundant Life This Side of Heaven. Um, so that's all I have for you guys today. Enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day celebrating those who have given all so that we could have what we have. But ultimately, Jesus is the one um, who makes all that possible. And we thank him, first of all, for what he's done and, and the fact that he's given such amazing people who would be willing to give their lives up for our freedom. So go enjoy your families, go love people, and um, live as his chosen people, all right? And I'll see you guys later. Keep moving towards Jesus.